Andy, most of the folks that listen to the podcast would have to fly down to the Keys. Uh, so if we were coming, flew in from like Nashville, Atlanta, Charlotte, maybe even Birmingham, what's the best path to take from where we start from the airport? Where would we land? And then what's the best path to take to get to your boat slip? The super sweet thing about Island Mirada and the Keys is how accessible it is. And you can just fly into Miami or Fort Lauderdale. They're both pretty close. Miami is about an hour and 20 minutes or Fort Lauderdale is about an hour and 45 minutes. And you just take the one road there is, literally the one, up to the Keys, go through Homestead, and go about 45 minutes up the Keys to Island Mirada, and boom, you're there. So Fort Lauderdale is a little bit north of mine. I couldn't remember where the heck Fort Lauderdale was. Which one do you recommend flying into? Fort Lauderdale's hour 45 is a little bit of a nicer airport, a little bit of easier to deal with, slightly smaller. Miami's the giant, you know, gong show. It takes a little longer to get through all the security and whatever else you have to get through. Harder to get a rental car, probably. But it's also half hour closer and the traffic can be bad. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not much for lines. I'm a little more relaxed when I get done from a fishing trip, but you want to amp me up back up, make me stand in line or sit in traffic. So I would pro- I probably need to fly into Fort Lauderdale. So your boat sits at a slip, right? Is that right? Or do you take it do you trailer it every day? I launch at my house. I got a boat ramp at my house. Oh dang. Really? So I can meet, nice. Yes. So I meet clients all over the place. A lot of people have are on the water because the keys are only maybe a half mile wide and tops at most places. So, so most people are on the water and I can pick people up right at their place or multitude of other places really work with people. It's super sweet to be able to have a boat ramp on the water. Oh, dang, that is good. So you just yeah. motor over, pick them up, go fishing, come back, drop them off, go back to your slip or to your house. So is it sitting a slip at your house or do you have to take it out? I take it out of the water. Treat it good. Yeah, good for you, man. And what, what kind of what kind of boat is it? I got a 17 Maverick HPXS. So okay. shallow water, small skiff, good polling, carbon, so it's super light. Get back in the skinny stuff, do some tarpon fishing, deeper water. The carbon boats are kind of a coming on a little stronger now to get to where we're going faster, I guess, and a little lighter. And I'm seeing them sometimes on top of yachts or on the front of yachts and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, they just float a couple inches higher, and that's a huge difference back there, especially when you're pulling around. Yeah. When you're up on plane, it's all pretty equal. But once you're back there trying to really get in the skinny water over some shoal or whatever you have to get over, it's good to have a carbon boat. Do you have a post on front to lean on or lean back on? Uh, You can get off the platform and lean on the platform. The platform's pretty tall. Oh, okay. All right. About 16 inches tall. You tell I like to relax when I'm fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a relaxed position and there's a fishing position. It's Yeah, right. Whatever you want to do, you know. Exactly. Throw a stool up there, too. I got a stool for tarpon fishing because it's nice to sit in and really settle in for that hour-long fight or well, that's a good idea i can see me doing that now huh all right well yeah. we're gonna salt saltwater fishing can be just as much looking and relaxing as it is 
fishing and catching. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that a lot of people don't see because what you see is all the action, right? Because nobody wants to film somebody sitting on the front of a boat for for an hour waiting for something to happen. You know, they want to they want to see the tarpon jump, the the snook the snook come out of the mangrove, stuff like that. They're not into the whole let's sit here and shoot the bull for forty five minutes for the next batch to come along. Yeah, never believe what you see on TV. <laughs> that is the truth. Or on the internet. Don't believe anything you... Unless it's my internet. Well, true. Yeah, don't believe anything (laughs) you hear and only half of what you see. It was my page is true. I don't know how to Photoshop. (laughs) Let's go ahead and kick this thing off. From high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern Fly, this is a Southeastern Fly podcast. Subscribe or follow wherever you consume podcasts. If you find value in this episode and want to give back, Drop by southeasternfly.com, click on the store, and simply make a purchase of a hat or a shirt. And with that, you'll get a free decal. And that supports the podcast and all the things that we do here. Uh, so who is our guest today on Southeastern Fly? He's a friend of mine. We fished together on the Yampa. Uh, he was also our guest on episode 63, where we talked about the Yampa at length. Uh, there was a lot of good information on the Yampa. If you're going to Steamboat, you'll want to... Grab that one out of the vault and, and take a hard, good, hard listen to it. Uh, and he did a fantastic job on that episode. Uh, but today we are talking about the Keys because in about five days, uh, if the weather holds up in the mountains around Steamboat, he's going to take off and go to the Keys and guide down there. Uh, please welcome back to the podcast, Andy Janowski. Andy, thanks for stopping by. Hey, David, thanks for having me on again. I'm sure it's a pleasure being back. I guess I should say thanks for stopping by again. Uh, and I know you're pretty busy trying to get your truck loaded and all that, and I appreciate you taking out some time uh, to talk with us, especially with spring coming up and uh, and the tarpon season. We've got some folks that are getting ready to uh, make some plans to go tarpon fishing, which I'm, I told them they might be a little late. But uh, I'm sure there's probably some open dates some by, with somebody. It may not be the prime days, but still, uh, you you can get in there and and uh, get get some time on the water. But uh, so you're transitioning now from uh, trout to saltwater, and you got a, a nice little skiff that you were just talking about. And just considering for some folks, travel is part of the adventure. And we want to, some folks want to include fishing and not fishing. One of the things that I, uh, that I discovered about, I guess it's probably been eight or 10 years ago was I like to have an off day just to do a little bit of adventure sightseeing. Now that particular trip, we were on the white, we had a, a really nice cabin right on the white and we just sat on the front porch and we played music all afternoon. I had adult adult beverage, and that's whenever I started saying, you know what, I think instead of just blowing in and fishing my brains out and then running back home, somewhere in between there, either take a half day or a day, something like that, and just see some of the things. So just to set up what I'm thinking on this question, Andy, I just want you to know that here's what I picture in my head. Uh, And I don't know if you're a Buffett fan or not, but I picture – Jimmy Buffett's initial trip to the Keys with Jerry Jeff Walker, where they went with his girlfriend, uh, Jerry Jeff's girlfriend. All three of them went down to Key West. And if you read 
The Pirate Looks at 50, I think, is the name of the book that, that he wrote. He said that we jumped in the red uh, convertible. And I can't remember what it was. And we drove down to the Keys, and he explained the stops. And I thought, man, I would really like to do that. And since we since likely we'll be traveling by car that last leg, what are some things we should not miss whenever we're going down to Isla Morada? And further, if we can get a little bit of adventure in. Man, you're really putting me on the spot and asking <laughs> me to compare a trip with Jimmy Buffett, the man down there. I don't, know, I don't know all the cool little spots Jimmy Buffett does, but the Keys are super cool, kind of culturally different than a lot of Florida. It truly is island life down there. A lot of spots to stop to. One of the first things you're going to be driving through on your way there is Everglades National Park. So, oh, okay. Which is right next to Homestead, which is the town that got kind of destroyed by the hurricane yep andrew yep exactly right on the edge of the mainland there but there's tons of beautiful plantations and farms fruits vegetables and everything you never heard of before so i think it's a good time to either stop on your way there down there or make a special trip down to the everglades and go see all the alligators all the birds crazy bird watching so many birds so many alligators, a bunch of wildlife, a super unique park as far as all the different kinds of ecosystems it has. There's tall trees, there's super gnarly swamp that everybody's seen on all the news and and all that stuff. So I would I would suggest stopping around Homestead in the Everglades and doing a little touring around there, canoeing, airboating, bird watching, fruit getting, whatever you want to do there. And then once you actually get on the keys, there's all the more unique keys stuff. There's a bunch of wildlife rehabilitation places. There's a turtle rehabilitation place in Marathon. It's super cool. There's a bird rehabilitation place in Key Largo and a bunch of other places in between there. There's the Bats Pro Shops in Isla Mirada. Yeah. Worldwide Sportsman. That's been a famous place forever, too. Uh, a fish tank with all the kinds of fish you want to catch in there, jump in there naked, pull some out like all the recent news stories or whatever. Well, I'll say, FYI, that's not going to happen with me. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not into that. There's all kinds of state parks too. There's a park in Key Largo called John Pennicamp that has a bunch of state park stuff, coral reefs, tours, kayak tours, stand up paddleboarding, mangroves, all that stuff. And then if you drive past Isla Mirada, Isla Mirada starts at mile marker 90. So there's 90 more miles of keys past Isla Mirada. Okay. All kinds of cool stuff. Uh, You got to go to the Key West if you go to the Keys. It's like the New Orleans of Florida. (laughs) All kinds of unique people walking around, crazy people, cool restaurants and bars and Spots to stop, a bunch of museums, all kinds of old West history. Ernest Hemingway is a local legend there, obviously, as he is all over the place. And good beaches. There's just so much in the Keys to stop and see. It's it's impossible to try and take a couple minutes and and figure everything out. You just start driving along, and it's narrow little set of islands there. So pretty much everything you're going to drive by, you're going to see. So just stop along the way. Anything cool you see? Pull off, go have a beer, go walk around. That sounds lovely. That sounds like a good place for me to be. I've always wanted to. I've never been down there, believe it or not. Oh and my I God. just really want to go. Well, uh, it's probably 75 degrees right now. So, Yeah, it probably is versus the 47 <laughs> here. 
which is quite the different. Where's the, where's the best seafood that's close to you? In Colorado? No, I'm sorry, down there in the Keys. <laughs> no, no, that's that's steak out there, right? Right. Yeah, we're in beef country, beef yeah. and milk, bison. But pretty much anywhere you look down there is is super good seafood. There's so many good restaurants in Isla Mirada. It's a you know sport fishing capital of the world. So you're not gonna find a lack good seafood restaurants. Just a couple of my favorite ones. One of my favorite ones would would be the um the square grouper, which you know what square grouper means, right? No, uh-uh, we don't know. It's a bale of drugs that floats in the ocean oh. until someone finds it. Oh, okay, okay. I was yeah. thinking food. So in most yes. Caribbean places between Colombia and Miami, there's a lot of drugs being transported. So square grouper yeah. is a <laughs> term for a bale of drugs. Oh, a little bit more of that in the, in the Buffett book, too, if you haven't read it. Exactly. I should have have known that. I'm sure that I, I'm sure that's in the book. (laughs) So if I come to fish with you, uh, which I hope I can do, where should I stay? And and here's, here are my, here are my requirements. Clean, good or a great view, a bedroom, a bath, coffee, and close to food. So I tell most of my clients to book a place called Contiki. And it's right in downtown Alamorada next to a bunch of restaurants, dinners, bars, lunch spots, breakfast spots. They have some stuff there. Most of them are individual little uh, hacienda kind of things. Uh So you get your own living quarters, totally separate from everybody else. If you have your own boat that you want to tow down, they have their own boat ramp and slip that you can keep your boat at right out front. Nice. Okay. And then it is also having that boat ramp and slip and everything a guy your guide whoever that may be can come pick you up right outside of your front door okay. which is super common with a bunch of places in the isle of Mirada. i would suggest if you're thinking about coming and and staying and fishing a bunch of days try and figure out somewhere you can get picked up right on the water yeah contiki fisher in chica lodge is a super fancy nice place there and tons of airbnbs okay yeah and boat spell? ramps, the Contiki is K-O-N-T-I-K-I, two different words. And then the other, the first one you mentioned? Uh, the other, other one was Fisher Inn. Fisher Inn. Yeah. And then there's a lot of Airbnbs too. Okay. All right. I have to look that up. Okay. So if you're wanting to come down and tow your own boat, public boat ramps aren't a huge thing down here. Mm. So try and make sure that wherever you're renting has a private boat ramp, which is a huge thing down here. Yeah, I can see that. Not a lot of room for a big parking lot for 100 extra boats, is there? Right, and everybody's trying to make a little off the top, so. Well, true, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And we all know with with the public comes a little bit more of a show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure y'all seen the qualified captain. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, wow. Social media, check out the qualified captain right now. All right, I'll check that out. Hopefully, you're not featured in it. God, Lord, I hope not. Surely, I'd buy. you hadn't seen me on there, have you? Some days, I feel like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't used to have a mullet, did you? No, no, but I'm growing hair now. I don't know if you can see it, but I was bald for a few years. And then I made a, my, I told my daughter, I said, I'm gonna, I might grow some hair. She's like, oh, no, don't do that. I said, 
Challenge accepted. Here we go. So for about six months, I've just been letting it go. <laughs> That's awesome. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, re- I'm a rebel, dude. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> you so, are south of that Mason Dixon line. Dang right. Dang right. I'm, yeah. I like to, I like to do my own thing if I can, but, um, all right, so let's move on to the fish because now that now that we're now that we're there, we've got our place to stay. It's got coffee. Uh, you 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 are whoever your guide is can pick you up at the dock. So one of the what what are some of the fish that you fish to? And then I got a second part to this about what happens if it's off day. So let's go down the list of fish that you're that we're looking for. So Isla Mirada is the sport fishing capital of the world, and that means two different things. There's more IGFA records coming. From- from Alamirada than anywhere else. And, and there's an insane amount of species. So going off of the, what we'll call the backside, the backcountry, that's going into Everglades National Park. Everglades Park is one mile off of the shore going back towards the mainland. And there's something like 25 to 30 miles of backcountry between the Keys and the mainland of the Everglades. And that doesn't even count all the inland stuff. You can go back up and hide in some creeks and some inland lakes and stuff like that up there so you have crazy amount of variety of species back there you got your your snook all your swamp species your snook your redfish your juvenile tarpon sometimes bigger juvenile tarpon triple tail black drum sea trout and 15 different other fish Juvenile Goliath grouper are, are super fun on the fly rod too. Oh wow! That and they hang fun. out back yeah. in the mangroves, and they can be up to thirty pounds. And if you're super lucky, you can catch them when they're eating poppers. Oh, sounds terrible! <laughs> and they fight super hard like a grouper does, and they're really cool looking. And then you have all your near shore stuff, and your Florida Bay going into the Gulf of Mexico, which got all your Spanish mackerel, cobia, triple tail all your Gulf species back in there. Another couple dozen species. And there's a ridiculous amount of territory for that too. Getting into some bay boat stuff and some spin fishing kind of stuff, bait fishing kind of stuff. And then you have your keys proper going into the ocean, your bonefish, your permit, your largest group of migratory tarpon, because I feel like all the tarpon all over the entire Southeast U S converge on the keys there on their way to go spawn offshore. I feel like uh-huh. that really converges to Island Murata because it's a super unique point where all these channels come through and it's the first time there's a bunch of channels through the peninsula of Florida. So it's a natural path that anything that's migrating is going to meet up there. Yeah. So not so the necessarily tarpon, the, those huge groups of tarpon are super unique and super fun. So not- something that everybody should see at some point. Not necessarily they all meet at the same time. They just all take the same path to get to uh, where they're going or correct. Not necessarily at the same time, but there there can be groups of a couple hundred tarpon. Wow. Just meet, okay. meeting at once, different groups, and you're watching it all happen and it blows your mind. It blows your mind. I bet it does. Oh fish is but- just as big as you meeting in mass and then <laughs> going towards offshore. Three miles offshore, we got the continental shelf. So it goes from 25, 30 feet deep to 1,000, 1,500 feet deep. So sailfish, every reef fish you've ever imagined, 
Uh, it's just crazy the variety tuna. Marlin. Marlin. Yeah. Sword swordfish. Yeah. They don't they don't catch a ton of marlin down here, but more so sailfish. Sailfish is a huge deal. And that tournament season started a couple weeks ago and it goes it goes through like March or something. Oh wow. And, okay. Goodness. And on ridiculous days, those guys will catch 30 sailfish in a day. Wow. Okay. I want to back up. So I knew the snook, I knew the redfish, I knew the juvenile type tarpon, which I really want to do one day. Triple tail, uh, that's fine. Black drum, they're black drum to me are okay too. Uh, there's a lot of people that poo poo them, but I'm like, no, those guys are fun. I mean, it's a, it's a good pull if you get the right one. Some of them will just roll over and pull you, let you pull in. But juvenile giant grouper on poppers. So how common is that? Not very common for the poppers, but finding the juvenile gr- Goliath grouper in the mangroves is pretty common, especially in the in the springtime. And what do you, so if poppers aren't working, which Lord, you would pray that they are, because that just seems like a blast, but what, what would you use? Some giant, some giant that sinks down. They're only in four feet of water. So typically by these mangroves. So, so how big is giant? Something big that gets by the other fish. Cause anywhere you're going to see a a Goliath grouper in the backcountry like that, you're going to see a ton of other species, mangrove snapper, snook. You're going to have so, to get your fly past those other fish to get that Goliath grouper, but they're usually pretty willing to eat. Oh, okay. That's a new, that's a new twist there. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, it never crossed my mind, but they, they got to be born somewhere or grow up somewhere. So the size of the fly, is it still on like a 10, 12 weight? Or are you backing that down? Uh, for the Goliath grouper, I, I usually throw an eight or a 10. Okay. And then how long is the fly? Uh, I throw basically just the biggest fly I got on six inches, eight inches. Okay. So more of a small musky fly would be about the right size. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not carrying any musky flies out there for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I like that one. And then if you could get into some juvenile tarpon around the same place or same day, that'd be pretty cool too. So well, that's we, one of the cool things about that backcountry area is there's so many different fish that hang out in the same spot. Snook and baby tarpon always hang out at the same spot, and those juvenile Goliath grouper are in the same zones too. Mangrove snapper are in the same spot. Crocodiles. Okay. <laughs> I've I fished off the pier in a place called Mexico Beach. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's east of Panama City up on the panhandle and and I caught a mangrove snapper one night and I thought I thought the guy was going to pay me to take it from me. I mean, he's he was like this is the best eating ever. I was like, "Okay, I mean, I was probably 19 years old, what the heck did I know?" Uh I still I've never had it, so I don't know. I still don't know if it's any good or not, but he really was raving about it. It's like, "Well, here, just take it then." I I mean, I'm just going to throw it back if you're going to eat it. And he cleaned it right there and took off with it. So it's hard bad. to let those. It's hard to let those things go. They are delicious. Are they? they are not not in a shortage at all. You can catch those things in between any spot here and catch a couple of fish to eat. How big do those things get? You know, they seem like they start to go offshore when they get to somewhere around eighteen inches, okay. nineteen inches, maybe. Yeah, then they split. Okay, they catch bigger ones offshore, but in the backcountry, we're 
the minimum keeping size is 10 inches. We'll catch a lot of 14 inches is pretty ideal. Okay. They fight ridiculously hard, just like any saltwater fish though. So a 14 inch fish can put a pretty mean bend in an eight weight. I bet the one that I caught, I was on an ultralight spinning rod, uh, fishing off a pier. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I remember the fight and I remember giving it to the guy and that I don't even remember what the fish looked like. It was late. It was at night. And I might've had, had an adult beverage probably, possibly. Uh, so let's talk about what happens. You got all these fish around, uh, all these different opportunities around. Let's put it that way. Let's say that I decide that I want to fish for whatever. I want to go up into the, into the mangroves and I want to fish. And let's just say for the sake of saying this, that, uh, maybe it's an off day in there for some reason. Maybe the tides aren't right. Something's wrong front. Who knows? Whenever you get ready to, uh, to go out and fish and then things aren't working exactly the way you want them to, how do you pivot? What do you do? Do you just go after a different species? What do you do there? Definitely start at going for a different species and branch out from there. Uh, Fly fishing in the ocean, there's pretty much no such thing as a purist fly fisherman in Florida. (laughs) Everybody has spin rods on all the time because... That pivoting thing is what it's all about. If you can't pivot, you're useless. You know, your your mangrove stuff is your safest, basically, because you can get back in these uh, isolated, protected areas where there's less wind, there's less waves. Maybe you had to do less getting kicked around to get there. So you're catching your, your redfish, your snook, your snappers. Catch those any day of the year on spin gear. So if you want to... The- so that would be your pivot if you were going to go tarpon fish, tarpon fishing, or something like that, out on the edges and stuff like that. Then in 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 Florida Bay, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, there's a hierarchy. Your your sunny day, flat calm, maybe not totally flat calm because that's not the best, but slightly slightly wavy but sunny is your best conditions. You can do anything with that, and then you go down from there. Yeah, okay. Basically, until you're blind fishing in some mangroves with some bait. <laughs> Everything in the ocean eats uh, shrimp. That's exactly right. Yeah, that is exactly right. And I don't blame it either. I would too, or I do too. Uh, so you, you, I've never seen you with a pair of glasses on. You don't wear glasses, do you? I mean, other than sunglasses, polarized glasses. Uh, I wear glasses at night sometimes. So I got a baby, you know. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So the reason why I say that is you've got good eyes, and that's critical. It's super critical. Yeah. Be able to see the fish. Yeah. You eat a god with some good eyes, and it makes a world of difference to be able to to be part of that pivoting thing and actually see where fish have been would be, if nothing else. And what what are the best lenses to to bring, or what do you what do you use? Let's just put it that way. It's hard to go wrong with a copper, okay. a glass lens, copper. Oh, uh, you're in the glass. Okay. Oh, it's, it's glass is so good. I've never been a gear whore in my life, but over the years, there's certain things that have worn me down and have been, have proven themselves to be worth it. Glass lens, copper lenses. You can't really scratch them. It's super hard to scratch. And you can see pretty much anything. I, re- I like all the niche colors too. A green mirror is a green mirror. Copper is the best. And then going down from there, there's a rose. It's super good too and some other brown colors and then there's a blue color but 
just your everyday green mirror copper. That rose, I've got a pair of rose. I can't remember. Maybe they're Smiths. I can't remember. Uh, they're not glass, but uh, but I use them like in the mornings, in the late evening some. And for my eyes, that seems to help a little more, you know, seeing down into the water with a little bit lower light. I don't know why it helps, but I don't know what the technology is for my eyes, but it definitely seems to help me a little better, but with lower light, so... Yeah, all those all those different colors of lenses do have a little bit of a difference, for sure. Yeah, we did but, a we did a episode back well, a couple of years ago uh, on on sunglasses and super interesting. I mean, I, I did some research around it, and then after I got done, I, I did some research there too. After I was finished, and just uh, yeah, it was it was pretty dang cool. All the stuff that goes into it. And you can put a, you can put different lenses on from the same manufacturer, and you can actually tell a difference if you've got something in mind that you're looking for. You know, you they have their different uh, uses and variations for a reason, and you have to figure out all right, what is it that I'm looking for for my eyes, which is pretty cool. Exactly, and all the manufacturers have it so dialed now that they can tell you what that's good for. So. If you can afford to have five different pairs of glasses, then by all means, do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm sure if I worked at a sunglasses company, I'd have four or five different pair. But right now, I've got about two. Two that, are, two that aren't scratched. Let's put it that way. I've got plenty more down there. But <laughs> most of them are scratching. The, and usually, it happens right over the center of your eye. It never happens off to the side where you're not going to be looking anyway. But All right. I got a pair of Costas that have that, but... Just happens. It's gonna happen yeah. eventually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm bad That's about. Well, I got laying. the warranties. Yeah, I'm bad about laying them down, kicking them in the floor, looking for them, stepping on them while I'm looking for them, and stuff like that. So <laughs> probably not the. Uh, I'm glad I'm not a gear hound because if I was, I'd be broke, uh, or I'd be way more careful than I am. One of the two, but <laughs> exactly. Well, let's let's move on to the etiquette down there because I know there's a bunch of etiquette, and I know that. Some of the guides are all high strung. That's the word I'm looking for. Think of a couple other words that I don't want to talk about. But, uh, and, and, you know, most folks don't have 12 weights and 10 weights and those larger rods. A lot of people don't have that. And we've got some folks that tie flies and we've got some folks that buy flies. And I know we need to come as prepared as we could possibly be. And, also, I know that in the end, you'll probably lean back on that guide a little more uh, than you intended to when you left. But so what should our listeners bring uh, when they're coming down to the keys to fish? And and is it true that the clients provide lunch? Oh, yeah, baby. Yep. I ain't bringing lunches. <laughs> it's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, it's just part of the culture. It's been built in over millennia. Oh, clients bring lunches. That's awesome. so foreign to me. Yeah, everybody else in the whole country, I think, pretty much. Yeah, hard to go back and forth, but yeah, bring your bring your own lunch. You don't necessarily have to bring your your captain a lunch, but it's a good idea to do that. Yeah, I'm terrible. I usually just eat like crackers and a Reese cup, and that's it for me. And water and coffee all day. Yeah. I either but, eat a salad or leftovers, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I, I get those 
So it's true. Vitamins and minerals. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. There, there is all kinds of funky etiquette, maybe not necessarily funky etiquette down there, but the golden rule always abides just do to other people what you would do to yourself, especially if you're wondering what to do. Yes. Never crowd somebody. That's for sure. Yeah. So what's crowded? What's crowding down there? That could be so many different things in so many different spots. Every different, you have to know a spot to know what's crowding and what's not. There oh, could be a, okay. there could be a football field size area that could take three boats in tarpon season, and you would look at it and think that one boat you that would only take one boat, mm-hmm. or it could be the opposite and it could be a five hundred yard area and you could think that there could be eight boats there but there could only be one boat there. Okay. So staying well outside of the realm, if you're ever wondering, if you have your own boat, staying well outside of a spot and watching what people are doing. So, but also don't think that just because you think somebody's fishing there, you can just go fish there too. Because the only reason you knew that there would be fish there is because you saw some other guy fishing there. Uh huh. That's a big deal down there. If you have your own boat. Yeah. Oh yeah. You just gotta be real careful, especially with tarpon. So hold on a minute. So I'm sitting there. It's 4.30 in the afternoon. It's time for Joe Blow guy to go home. He cranks up and takes off. Are you saying I can or can't fish that area? Uh, You can, but make sure he's gone first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and then definitely don't show up the next morning before it gets light. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's mainly what I'm talking about. Okay, so it's more a morning thing. But more so like you drove by a spot and you're like, oh, that'd probably be a good spot tomorrow morning at the exact same time as now where that guy is there. Yeah. So Andy's fishing there. It must be good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And people will tell you to in a not super nice way. Well, that's the reputation down there is a bunch of people that like to yell. So nobody nobody wants to go on a trip and. And do that, but if you got your, if, you, if you're with a, a a guide or captain, you should be you should be for the most part fine. Uh, I'm sure that you wander into the wrong situation from time to time too. But yeah, you uh, never know who you're going to run into. But, but uh, finding a good guide is always a super hard thing to do, and research is never a bad thing. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So do a bunch of research, and if somebody is open during prime time, you should probably ask some questions about that. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. So back to the question, what should we bring when we're coming down as far as rods and reels and lines and flies go? Before we even talk about gear, I'm going to talk about your casts. <laughs> <laughs> let's practice our casts. Let's bring Come on a good, now. Let, let's bring a good cast first. Nobody does get, that. I know people, <laughs> there's conditions and stuff, but. Uh, the first thing that people want you to bring is a guide and just you should bring to your own trips that you're spending your own money on is skills. Learn how to cast all the ways. The more different ways you can cast, the better. Yeah. Definitely on a saltwater boat, know how to cast backhanded, meaning be able to cast off of your right side with your back cast going to the left behind you uh-huh. and yeah. land to, to your right. So you don't, don't whack your, your guide in the face. Cross shoulder, stuff like that. Yeah, no guide likes to be dancing around the pole like a stripper back there. No, no. All I have to do is duck, but there's really nowhere to go on the polling platform. 
<laughs> there just isn't. I mean, you're just up there in the damn way. That's all there is. No, to you're it. trying. You're trying to get that pole in the way so it takes a hit. Yeah. Right. Right. And then practice with your different weights and stuff. You know, obviously your 12 weight casts a lot different than your 10 weight that casts a lot different than your five weight. So practice all that stuff. Accuracy. I always say if you want to be able to catch uh, saltwater fish regularly with consistency, be able to cast 60 feet into a dinner plate. Okay. That way, when your 40 shot, 40 yard, 40 foot shot shows up, you'll be able to dump it right in there. No problem. Yeah. I've said this before. Uh, one of the guys that I went tarpon fishing went through almost verbatim of what you said. You had to be able to fit, go 50, 60 feet to a pie plate. Then we can hit this 40 shot. They're going to be coming right at us, blah, blah, blah. The first fish that I saw was well over 100 pounds. And he was right off the rod tip, came right under my dead gum feet from the back. I was like, I, I don't need, I didn't even know how to make the shot. And he's like, well, I've never seen that before. <laughs> there it was right in front of us uh, after it came up. And, I mean, as soon as it got under the boat, and t- it kind of took off. But I, I never had a shot, but you can do everything you can do. And then something like that happens. You're like, well, didn't prepare for that. So prepare for everything that you could prepare for. I think is kind of my, my two cents on that question anyway. Exactly. Yeah. You don't ever know. Exactly. What to, Trying to practice the, the things that I see that people have a really hard time with is strip setting. Obviously is notorious. Yeah. yeah. And I think your uh, the position that your body is in the direction that your shoulders are pointing when uh-huh. you go to strip set, makes a big difference. Say you are casting as a typical right-handed caster straight off of the bow or whatever, and your left shoulder is pointing more straight off of the bow, and you're stripping like you normally would with trout or whatever, kind of like a little sideways. Uh-huh. And you get that bite, and you're not thinking at that point. You're going to trout set. Whereas if you were square to the front of the boat when you were stripping, and even maybe right foot or right shoulder forward a little bit or right foot oh, forward yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It would be harder for you to do that. So you wouldn't do that as easily and practice will help you figure all that stuff out too. Right but, shoulder, right foot, right shoulder forward a little bit for a right hander off the front or left front of the boat. Makes basically just stay more square. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. But even forward a little more like you're talking about makes even yeah. more sense. I always try to square up. But, yeah, and people people get all weirded out about two-handed stripping too, which is pretty crucial for clear lines for tarpon fishing. So practice that a little bit and bring your wading shoes, bring your rain gear. It blows my mind what people don't bring rain gear. Bring flies if you got flies. We might not use them, but we like looking at your flies. It's cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You might learn something out of a box from now from time to time too. You never sun, know. Sun and bugs and Bring your patience. <laughs> bring, bring your patience. Oh, yeah. And if you've never touched spin gear and you've never been on a saltwater trip, go get some spin gear. Go touch some spin gear so you can catch a fish. Man, I got a neighbor that is, he's bass and everything else, uh, spinning gear. He's got a garage full over there and he'll, He'll say, here, cast this every once in a while. I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. Kind of keeps me in tune a little. And then I've got some stuff out there that I'll take down to the to the beach sometimes. So 
yeah, it is a good idea because you never know when it's going to be a crap day, windy, uh, cloudy, windy, nasty, raining sideways. And, you know, you just got to try to be ready for as much stuff as you could possibly be ready for. Always. For instance, we were fishing for redfish and snook down in the Everglades. And it's not unusual to see a triple tail, which is a 15-pound-ish bluegill that tastes as good as any fish you've ever had. We see one of these on a three-foot flat, and we throw, I'm pulling my wife around. She throws a bunch of casts at it, and it's not paying any attention to it, and had a spin rod right there, threw a shrimp on it, threw it out there, smelled it. You could tell when the fish smelled it. <laughs> Immediately ate it. Brought home this giant delicious fish. Oh, so yeah. The name of the game is pivoting. Especially yeah. if you're going to go to the ocean and try and DIY fish. You got to be able to do as much as you can. Yeah, there's some folks that like to do that. And I mean, they, they're they not like, hey, we came, we caught you know, the biggest tarpon we've ever caught, they come back and say, well, we had a good trip this time or last, this time was okay. Or we, we struck out, but they enjoy that sort of thing. So there's not really a right or wrong way to do it. Me personally, I've been looking at skiffs, not that I'm going to be using one, but I mean, who doesn't like to look at, at boats? And if I did buy one, then I would start doing some DIY trips, but I'm just, I'm probably not going to do that because a, a boat is a tool for me, I guess you know, more so than pleasure. But anyway, I, I spent about six months looking and trying to talk myself into getting one. And I just couldn't do it because I thought, well, I could, I could run down to Louisiana, you know, for long weekends and stuff. And I thought, no, I won't do that because I'm booked, you know, and who wants to travel on, on holiday weekends. And finally, I think I've weaned myself off of that, but you know, I could see me doing some DIYs if I've lived a little closer and had a boat, but you weaned yourself off of the denial, right? You're I don't buy know. one. That's what you mean? No, no, I'm not <laughs> going to buy one. I wean myself off of buying one for now. Uh, you know, I I will certainly take another look soon, probably. But I mean, all it takes is for me. We're we're headed to Louisiana here in a, uh, next week, and all it'll take is for me to go down there, you know, and and have a good, a decent day. It is it doesn't take me to have a great day or anything? I mean, I just like being out there. I know whenever I'm down there, I'll be looking at boats for sale, you know, just wherever. And then I'll come back here and get on Marketplace and start looking. And then I'll be, you know, I'll go through it again for another several months. And then I, hopefully I'll be off of it. But, yeah. But anyway, people people come and they, they come down and do those, those uh, DIYs. But for the most part, I think most of us listening to this, you know, would hire a guide and do that sort of thing. So what are you doing for fly lines? I want to get a little technical. I don't want to get super technical. But what, what do you think the best type of head uh, on, for the fly line is? Is there anything special uh, that you're using? Or is it just pretty much grab a saltwater line that matches the rod and maybe the fish you're fishing for and you're good? So having grown up fly fishing since the mid-90s or whatever, uh, I'm pretty particular about fly lines and companies. and stuff and i'm a scientific angler guy through and through their fly lines have so much thought put into them they last so well they keep changing everything they'll have so many different models of everything i'm just a scientific angler guy and they treat me really well too um as far as if i think there's a problem with the line and warranting it and everything but 
definitely a big difference as far as what you're fishing for and what kind of fly line you want to bring. So you have, you know, the trend these days is fat tapers and super fat tapers to make it easier for your more novice casters and stuff. And that's all good. But you got to read your situation into that too. If you have spooky fish and you have one of those and you have to cast one of those because that's what you're used to, you got to tie on a 15 foot leader. Because the tip of your taper is going to splash. So there is no cheat code is what I'm saying. If you need one of those overweighted, super heavy lines, just be ready to have to use a super long leader too. So that, that equals casting lessons. Right. Just be able to cast whatever line you have. I like the textured lines. I like keeping lines clean. I really like clear lines for saltwater too. Oh, okay. Because it can equate to another extra shot or two. Thinking about the fact, what if the fish is going away from you at a quartering angle and you have a solid colored fly line with a regular leader, you make your first cast, that's all good. But then you make your second cast and once you're panicking and casting, you're going to overcast a little bit and they're going to see your fly line. Uh, So pretty much for every kind of species, Mostly tarpon, especially. I have clear clear tip lines, too. Makes a lot of sense. I haven't thought about that. The panic cast, but everybody does it, don't they? Well, and it, it And it also, like, it. Uh, that all goes into the weight of your fly. Because if you have a clear mono tip, your fly's going to sink faster because your line sinks. So you have to have a lighter fly. Uh-huh. But if you're tarpon fishing in 12 feet of water... And the fish are all suspended eight feet off of the bottom. You should have that clear tip with a light fly. So it stays on the level in front of them longer, in the strike zone longer. So for the big tarpon, what what hooks are you using? What size? Uh, Depends if you're on the ocean side or back in the Everglades and dirtier water. But clear water, smaller hooks, sixes, potentially fours mostly twos and fours yeah interesting that's uh people would think big fly big hook all that stuff and that's a pretty big hook but you know i think you're you're really big like four rot and two watt tarpon flies are for dirty water yeah yeah so as to like what flies you bring to the keys depends on where you're going to fish in the keys clear water on the ocean side, dirty water on the base side. You could, if you're going to try and go to the keys and fish for everything, there's not enough gear in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't put it all over. Really yeah. But for, for your regular dude who's coming down, bring for every weight category or whatever, every type of fish you're going to try and fish for, bring a clear line and a regular floating line. What about the types of flies, colors? Let's let's go. I mean, you can find a pattern, whatever. But what about colors, fly colors? I think black and purple is probably your most famous tarpon fly color ever. Yeah, baby tarpon that'll work pretty much every day in a smaller size. Bigger tarpon, you need dirty water for that to work. Back in the Everglades, uh, back on the ocean side, you're using a lot of cockroach-looking stuff. A lot of hackily, smaller, more subtle-looking flies. Some chartreuse on them. Not as many dumbbell eyes. Not as many big hooks. But crucial 
to have a good hook for tarpon. Obviously, super sharp, big gap, super strong. Know your knots super well. No guide, no tarpon guide is ever going to let you tie your own knot. Shoot Ever. <laughs> Ever. Oh, uh, yeah. I would. So you have to put everything you can in your favor. And if you're tying knots day in, day out, and I'm tying trout knots up here day in, day out, I'm going to let you tie my saltwater knots down there because I don't do it all the time. It's more so like you saw a cool knot on the internet and you tied it 10 times. And I saw oh, that knot like five times a day, every day. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's the. That's the big thing to to remember is let the guide do what the guide's going to do because you, you do it day in, day out, every day. And, you know, like a friend of mine says, he sits in a cubicle for for uh, 300 days out of the year and he does, you know, fishing saltwater for three days a year. So he's not going to he's not going to cast in the pie plate every time. And he's not going to be able to tie the knot every time. So take as many of those variables out of the equation as you can. That way, if you miss the pie plate, at least you, if you get a hit, you know, the knot's not going to fail on the first jump. So, right. Yeah, that's, and you get plenty, you get plenty of tarpon eats 10 feet from the boat too, but just to help your odds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if I, if I do tie my own flies and you decide to use them, uh, by the time I get home, they're going to be all rusty and crusty. Well, how do you, what do you do to clean your flies or do you? I never put a used fly back in with the general fly population. <laughs> All flies that get used either get put in a water, um, a water bottle with fresh water in it, and they just soak all day. And at the end of the day, I dump them onto a paper towel and let them dry for a full day. Or they get put into the outside of a box. You know, most saltwater boxes have foam on the outside. Yeah, stick them all out there, rinse them off really good at the end of the day let them dry for a while and then put them back in. Yeah. I fished with a, a redfish guide that pulled out a box and it was all rust. Every damn bit of it was rust. I mean, just the whole inside of the box was It's like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, I forgot I had this in here. Okay. Uh, it's crazy. He left it in his boat. I should say. Okay. It's crazy how rust can proliferate. Yeah. That's why I was asking. Yeah, I've got a fly over here. So I'm tying redfish flies right now, and I've got a pattern over here that somebody gave me and wanted me to tie a couple for them. And it's got just a tick, little bit of rust on the inside of the eye. And he's going to be crushed when I tell him, don't use it. <laughs> Do not That's use it. That's one of the worst good. spots, too, on the eyelet. Oh, yeah. It's right on, yeah. right inside the eye. I don't, know how it, I don't know how it's just there. And he, you might be able to take a file or something, maybe, and get it off. But I'm nah, not so sure about it's, that. It's, it's done. Yeah, he, he caught a really High nice redfish on it and kind of shamed the guide into giving him the fly at the end of the trip. Now he's not going to be able to use it again. But I think I got him taken care of. We'll see. But one of my uh, clients told me that his guide down in Louisiana told them that there was a ramp fee at the end of the trip, and they're like, "Ramp fee? What is that?" And the guy's like. Let me grab a couple of flies out of your box. <laughs> this, this guy was a doctor that would be psyched to give any flies that he tied to any guide ever. <laughs> and this here's this guide like saying he has to have some of his flies that the dude would have probably given him the whole box, no questions. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't trick me. Don't try to trick me. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. That's great though. <laughs> oh. 
Well, so I got one more question for you. I think we've pretty much hit on everything I wanted to. So we we've flown out, we've driven down, we found some good places to eat, places to stay, find a place where you can pick us up, bring a ten and eight. Uh, you'll have twelve if you got it. Uh, fish the Everglades, fish for tarpon, big tarpon, little tarpon, the the grouper thing. I could get into that. I could. I really could get into that. I don't know if it's just something different or what. But uh, anyway, so let's round this out with the one question that we didn't ask about fishing the keys that we should have asked. This is always the hardest one, but there's some good info that comes out of them. So, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about it a bunch already. Is what I was going to say is the DIY factor. The keys are excellent for some DIY kind of fishing too. There's so many bridges. There's over a hundred miles of keys. There's water that you can go launch kayaks and paddle boards in your own boat all over the place. Mangroves, tons of water. I think it's a great spot for the DIY kind of people or people that just want to go hire a guide for three days or one day and then go do a couple days of DIY for themselves too. There's plenty of opportunity for it. And, you know, there's, there's just so much territory down there between the Everglades and a hundred miles of those keys that you can really get it done pretty well. There's tons of kayak rental places, paddleboard rental places. There's tons of drop-offs and channels and current, you know, people need to, when they're doing some DIY kind of stuff, you really need to check out the, the tides. And the current, the more current, the better for pretty much everything. Full moons are usually not very good. Make things a lot trickier. Uh, pinch points, just because, again, they have more current. Uh, little drop-offs, pretty obvious. It's all, if you think about it for a while, it's all pretty obvious. There's there's hatches in the ocean, just like there's hatches in freshwater. You, know? you got your PMDs. You have a certain kind of shrimp that hatches a certain time of the year. A certain size of a certain shrimp. There's pass crabs, there's regular crabs, there's blue crabs, there's pilchards, there's mullets. There's so much stuff going on down there that I just think the DIY is probably a little underutilized as huh. far as that goes. What about waiting? Because I know Michael is going <clears> to <throat> ask, uh, if if he were able to ask a question on this, he would, he would ask, what about waiting? There, are there opportunities to wade down there? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All those bridges are going to have current cooking in from both sides. Ocean side is going to be a lot stiffer bottom, so a lot more weightable. The bay sides can be a lot muddier, but especially once you get further down the keys past Isla Mirada, Long Key, Conk Key, um, all the way up to Key West, there's, you know, there's 60 keys at least in that little zone there. And you go either just wade fish or go grab a kayak or a paddleboard and kayak or paddle between spots that you want to wade fish. Excellent strategy. So if Carpet, I'm wading, permit bonefish. If I'm wading, how how deep would I have to wade to get to where I mean it probably depends on where we're going or what we're what part we're in, but what's the generally what's a good wading depth? You gotta play to win. You know, the more the less somebody else wants to get to this, that spot, the better that spot's going to be. That makes a lot of sense. So you should 
it's all up to your ability level. Don't do something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, right. the deeper and sketchier you can get be to wade to somewhere that looks good, good, but don't do something stupid. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Oh, uh, anything else? That was a good nugget right there. I always end up with good nuggets on this last question. <laughs> uh don't wait. Do it now. Come on down. Huh. That was a good one. That was As you're a good waiting. One. <laughs> with open mouths. What do you say we close this thing out then? Yeah. It was great talking to you again. Yeah, man. Uh, and I, I knew we would do this sooner rather than later, and I'm glad we did it now, and it should be out toward the end of the month. But share this podcast with your friends and your fishing partners. Subscribe or follow so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. If you find value in the episode and want to support the work we do on these episodes, we'd appreciate it. Uh, if you drop by southeasternfly.com, click on the store, and just make a purchase of a T-shirt or a hat. We'll give you a free southeastern fly podcast decal so who was our guest today on this episode of southeastern fly he's a friend of mine uh like i said we fished the yampa together had a great day there andy where can they find you at where can folks find you find me on the social media trouty water you find me on fishingbooker.com you find me just via regular email and phone number okay well, I appreciate you stopping back by and giving us some information on uh, fishing the Keys. And you just listening to uh, Andy Janoski, Fly Fishing the Keys on Southeastern Fly. See you next time.